pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. I'm back. And it is the seventh day of September 2019. I'm excited to be back with you this Saturday morning. I have to tell you about my trip to Iowa State. I don't want to bore you with this. This is kind of like the guy who has to show you a slideshow of his vacation every time he comes back. But I have to tell you this. It's been 43 years since I graduated from Iowa State. 43 years. And played football there. But last time, I, it's been about 44 years since I strapped on the all the uniform and everything and played for Iowa State. And yet that amazing university never forgets us or minimizes what we did there and our time there. On Friday night when we arrived, uh, they had a dinner reception for our team and our wives. Saturday morning, they provided us a priority parking, all priority parking passes, and they set up two tailgate tents specifically for us with breakfast and beverages and everything, and then seats on the 50-yard line, field passes for the game. Uh, Treated us just great. I was able to address our team and, and the wives Friday night. Yeah, and the message was essentially this. And this is important today in today's environment of sports. I said this group was the first team to play in the new stadium. We, yeah, and the stadium has since doubled or even tripled some in size and is continuing to grow. Uh, but we were the first team to play in the new stadium, to induct the new era into Iowa State football. The group was the first team that had three eight-win seasons under Earl Bruce before he left for Ohio State and proved that winning could be accomplished consistently in football at the university that had struggled previously. But I also said to the group, if that is all we accomplished If that is all we did in life, that little snippet in time, then we collectively, coaches and players, and and Earl Bruce's daughters were there with us that night and at the game and at the tailgate. If that's all we accomplished, we would have been failures. If the only thing we did was have success on the football field, we would have been failures. And they kind of looked at me. And I said, I went on to tell them, this is where the, the special nature of football 
if done right, uh, creates an environment that, that should be a springboard for everything that you do afterwards. I said, when our teammate, one of our teammates needed experimental cancer treatment, we, the players of that team, raised $25,000 in three days to pay for his treatment, and he was there at the game. When our head trainer from that era, 43 years ago, when his six-year-old grandson needed cancer treatment, we again came together and raised the money for it. And last weekend, we were there at Iowa State to to actually uh, create or dedicate a scholarship in the name of Earl Bruce that will be given every year, an endowment. We raised over $53,000 as players, nobody else, as players, to create an endowment for a yearly scholarship to be given in the name of Earl Bruce. The school at the end of the quarter uh, at the game Saturday recognized us. We all held this big, huge checkup for $53,000 that created the scholarship that was given to one of the players this year, and we know who it was given to, one of the tight ends at Iowa State, because of who he is and what the things he has done. So, 43 years later, our team is still a team. Uh, It's creating miracles off the field, which it should do. And in today's me, me, me environment, we are still a shining example of how sports should be. It was totally amazing experience. It continues to blow me away that this group of men can come together and create great things in today's environment. It was, it was an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure to be out there, plus a blast. That being said, Let's look at what happened on this date in history, September 7th. President Jimmy Carter, on this date, 1977, signed over the control of the Panama Canal. He and dictator Omar Torrios signed the Panama Canal Treaties, agreeing to transfer control of the Panama Canal from the United States to Panama. In 1979, a lot of people don't remember this, Chrysler asked for federal assistance to help with a rescue plan to the tune of $1 billion, $1 billion, (laughs) following losses of $700 million. And in 1996, the rapper Tupac Shakur was killed on this day. Uh, rival gangs, he was shot in Las Vegas, and he died six days later at 25 years old. I thought you were going to say that uh, Jimmy Carter signed the rights to his brother, Billy Carter, over to Panama. <laughs> he should have. He should have. That would have been a better deal for Billy us. Billy Beer, right? Yeah, I remember that. 
Socialism is a buzz, buzzword these days, uh, as candidates and many others point to the benefits of it. You hear all this, social, um, socialism, socialism. But do we really know what socialism is? Do we totally... I don't think we even have a clue of what socialism is. Or do we confuse real socialism with social justice? How many countries in the world do you think are truly socialistic countries? I read a book recently by two PhDs in economics who are known throughout the world. They're part of a very elite group of economists. And the title of the book is simply, Socialism Sucks, Two Economists Drink Their Way Through the Unfree World. Now, this doesn't sound like they wanted to write a book that was lighthearted and yet tells the story without reading it like some kind of scholarly and analytical 700-page document with notations and everything. And they did a great job. It is a great book. Uh, it turned a complex topic into a very easily understood comparison. And I wanted to get one of the authors on the show, and we did. The authors of the Socialism Sucks book are Dr. Robert Lawson and Dr. Benjamin Powell. And we are going to speak live with Dr. Bob Lawson at 9 o'clock. And if you ever really wanted to know what socialism really is, you don't want to miss this. As these two authors didn't write a book, they didn't just do this on theory. They actually traveled to each of the countries they wrote about to experience the situations firsthand. It's amazing. We will have many more stories. I've got a ton. I mean, we've got to talk about Dorian. We've got to talk about the shootings in Texas. I mean, I, I wasn't here to talk about a lot of that. Sport, we're going to have sports with General Bazika. We're going to have news with J. David Ress. Our trifecta contest, Stephen Potter. I mean, what else could you ask for? Stay tuned. Next three, well, two hours and 43 minutes. Stay tuned. The week there was, we'll continue right after this. Yeah, we're going to get to it right away. And do our answers for our contest. And the contest today is for a $25 gift card for Anytime Fitness. It can be used towards a membership, can be used towards tanning, can be used towards personal training. You could use it any way you want, but you have a $25 gift card for Anytime Fitness. There are locations in Tusk. There's one in... Uh, Plain Township, and you could use these at either location, I believe. $25 gift card. Here's your answers right now. Later on the show, I'll give you questions. If you match them up, you will win. Number one, the platypus. The platypus. P-L-A-T-Y-P-U-S. The platypus. Number two. These have nothing in common. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. Really? Because I read in a history book somewhere that the platypus was Thomas Jefferson's favorite pet. Oh. Wow. Yeah. It was like in the back part you that you're gonna... not supposed to read. <laughs> you're just going to confuse people. 
I know. And number three, Pablo Picasso. Come on now. Pablo Picasso painted, he actually painted a picture of Thomas Jefferson with his (laughs) his platypus. It was very abstract, though. Nobody had any. It was actually called Guernica. Nobody knew exactly what it was. Uh, So here's your answers. The platypus, Thomas Jefferson, and Pablo Picasso. Later on in the show, I'll give you the questions. If you can match them up, you get a $25 gift card, gift certificate, whatever, to Anytime Fitness. Those are not only the answers to your trivia question. Those are also three things that a drunk guy could walk up to you and tell you on the street right yes. now that would not fit together whatsoever. Yes. So go out, find that drunk guy. He's probably still out there. He'll tell you. And be like, tell me three things that I need to know. Now. And be like. <laughs> hey, I um, congratulations to all those, uh, all the people, Pastor Walter Moss, everybody on the committee for making the uh, – First Black College Hall of Fame Classic in Canton is success. Um, it's a great game. Uh, 35-31, Alabama A&M uh, defeated Morehouse. Close game. I mean, it was actually, I think Morehouse was ahead 28-10. Or, they were. Or A&M was, I think. Yeah, they were, up by, they were up by quite a lot. In the- and then Morehouse came back and, and almost tied it. You know, I I was thinking of this game because I read an article this week. You know Jamil Hill. Jim, I think her name's Jamil. Oh, Jamel. Jamel Hill. Yeah, from ESPN. Mm-hmm. She actually came out this week and sparked another controversy. Sort of. She came back and and actually said that it's time for black athletes to leave white colleges and go black and go back to the historically black universities and and it's i know that'll never happen sure because the opportunities uh afforded to the african american athletes at alabama and different places would not necessarily be there, but maybe they would. Well, I was going to say, I mean, tell that to Charlie Joyner. Tell that to Elvin Bethay. Tell that to guys that, that did go to the yeah. historic black colleges. I mean, it's not, I know it's not the sexy thing to do now, because as you said, when Nick Saban comes knocking on your door, obviously it's hard to tell a guy like that no, but at the same time, I look at it like this. If you're a great football player, you're going to get noticed whether you're at Alabama or whether you're at Jackson State or Morehouse College. Well, she's saying that the these these colleges like Alabama and like the great the big universities, Power Five conference schools, they're using black players. They they don't care about their education. Uh, but but I would argue across the board that. They use every athlete. I was going to just say, <laughs> and they, they do. don't care about any of their. But she's saying, look, these schools are thriving; they're making millions. Like Alabama's athletic department generated 174 million dollars in one year, whereas the highest 
historically black college athletic department, Prairie View A&M, only generated $18 million across the board. So she's saying that historically black colleges are, are really falling apart and they're starting to die out. And the other schools, because of the black athletes, and, and I would I would agree with this somewhat, John. I really would. There is a part of me that says, you know, this may sound very controversial, but she's also, there's some truth in this. Well, and, and consider this too, Joe, because this is something that we talk about all the time with the NCAA, and I know that, that we can talk about this in sports here in a little bit, but... Bottom line is this, when you go to an Alabama, when you go to a, a UCLA, when you go to a big-time college football program, the thought is you're going to be two years and gone. If you go to a black college football program, chances are you're going to stay a little bit longer just because the system is built that way where guys don't go for just two years and then leave. You're actually probably be going to become a better overall football player and become more mature by and, going to a system and like get that. an education. You will. Duh. There's there's more positives to all of that than anything else. That's because, what I said. She's she's saying this, and we got to go. We got to go to a break. But she's saying all this, John, and and a lot of people are saying, "Oh, this is terrible." She shouldn't be. There's a lot of truth in what she's saying, and 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 I agree with her to a certain extent. I don't think it'll ever happen. We'll talk about it when we come back. We have to go take a break because Stephen's looking at me with disgust, disdain. Must be disdain in the my platypus shirt. eye. Stay tuned. We'll continue. Sounds like a '60s song. I know it's not. Love and spoonful. I think it's a love and spoonful. <laughs> One it may not. Um, no, that was, that was a Beach Boys. That was a Beach Boys, not the Lemon Spoonful. So, John, I have been out of the loop. Out of the loop. What is happening in Stark County High School football? So far through two weeks, there is one constant that we know that's similar to last year. The Maslin Tigers are a very good football team. They won week one, 44-14 over St. V. And last night they played Glen Oak, and they won 55-13. to They led 55-6 to at the half. Wow. So we know the Tigers are for real. Aiden Longwell played so little time last night. He was 5-for-6 for 150-some yards and I think three touchdowns. That's so, how little time he had to play. So can anybody in Stark County beat them? I don't believe so. How are the McKinley Bulldogs? They play today. They go up against Bookdale. Bookdale lost last week to Hoover, thirty-eight to seven. So, if comparable score tells you anything, obviously McKinley and Hoover had haven't played yet. But you would imagine that Hoover and McKinley are on about the same level. Uh, McKinley's big question is they can obviously run the football. They have Lemire Garrett. He had a huge week one against Warren Harding, but um, the question with them is. Can Elijah Wesley step into the position as quarterback? Because they had Elijah Curtis the last two years, who was, you know, like the perfect point guard for that system. Just he didn't make mistakes. He always knew how to get the offense up to the line in time and do certain things. And um, I think Elijah Wesley last week only completed one or two passes against Warren. So they really need to figure out not necessarily how to throw the ball a lot, 
But I think in order to be a successful team, you have to be able to throw the ball a handful of times and do it with some sort of success. And if they go a whole season where they just give the ball to Lemir Garrett 100, you know, 97 times, eventually teams are going to start to figure that out. So I think you need to figure that out sooner rather than later once you hit the Federal League. Yeah, I agree. I um, So it looks like from what I'm gathering – from seeing the Hoban scores and seeing the Maslin scores, <laughs> we could be Maslin and Hoban again for the state championship. Uh, yeah, it would be the regional championship. It would be, but whoever wins that yeah, will probably win state the championship. state championship. Yeah. At this point, I would say that's a pretty fair assessment. Uh, otherwise, in the Federal League, Perry won again last night. They're 2-0. and uh, They beat a good Akron East team last night, 21-14. to They have... A slew of tailbacks. They have that Dion Cundiff kid who week one rushed for 270 yards wow. and six touchdowns. And um, they have Josh Lemon, who I know has been battling with some, some leg injuries. But once they get him back, he's a burner. So, you know, you mix those two. And, you know, all, all Keith needs is one running back. And big and physical again. Yeah, and, and they're going to be set. They have, you know, I think they have a uh, team from Illinois this week, Naperville. And then next week... After that, they'll, they'll play Jackson. So, good chance they could go three and zero into the Jackson game. Lake looks really good so far. Wow, they have some kids. They're two and zero. Yeah, they. Uh, so there's a lot of teams in Stark County doing well. There are Lake. I want to. I want to make special mention of Lake because they have a slew of tailbacks there. They have Dredden Owens, who week one had 183 yards and a couple of scores. They have your guy, Sean Michael James. Yeah. Who you coached his pops? Sean, yeah, Sean. Who you know, talented guy. Yeah, Sean. all the way around. Yeah, uh, Jake Eccles, their quarterback, is kid's got some real skill, and I think even more than anything else, the thing that's going to go unnoticed about them is they added John Demarco to their coaching staff. Oh, they did. They did, and I and I know that people are like, well, how much difference can a guy make? But well, he's an off as an offensive yes. coordinator. That's a different role. And now that he gets a chance to sit down with Jake Eccles and work at the quarterback position, because Lake always has running backs. They always have guys that you can give the ball to and get them into space, and they'll make plays. But now they have a guy in John DeMarco who is a specialist at taking a quarterback and making a junior look like a fifth-year senior. Mm -hmm. So they have a young quarterback, but he's doing a great job so far. And... If they can run the football like they are, where they get two hundred yard rushers most weeks, they're going to be a really tough out in the federal league. Well, that's great. That's good to hear. I'm glad for Dan. Um, I have a special place in my heart for Dan. I know you do because he coached him too. Well, also just the kind of person. No, he is. He's yeah. a good guy. He's a really good guy. Um, St. Thomas. I was telling you, we saw yeah. them last night. Uh, they have some kids who are just really athletic. Uh, Asian Burt, the kid who caught that touchdown that was in the highlight, he had three touchdowns last night through the air that he caught. Um, ten catches for 136 yards. Their quarterback, Alex Hawkins, who was a wide receiver last year, he looks really good. Um, coming off of a year where they were 2-8, and eight, I think a lot of people thought probably going to struggle again this year, but numbers are up just a little bit. And as I was telling you, you bring in Antonio Hall to your coaching staff, a uh, guy who played some professional ball and was an SEC standout. And um, as Coach Michael Cook was telling us during the week in, in prep for the game, he said, kids just, 
gravitate towards a guy like that because mm-hmm. they want to hear what he has to say. Mm-hmm. You know, because he it brings a different attitude to it. He does. And, and that's great because that's a program that's been so starved now to get back to their winning ways, back to their, their tradition that is. You go over there, you see all the banners, and um, I, I thought it was a great quote from a midweek from Coach Cook. He said, we want to bring guys into the building that are coaches that have championship DNA mm-hmm. or championship experience. That's important. So you get Antonio Hall, you get Drew Sirockman, a guy who was at Hoban, won a championship there along with you know, Coach Tyrrell. Um, Mike Cook spent time under Coach Tyrrell. He was actually coached by him when he was back at St. Tom back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know, so you you get those guys, and and I I don't think there's anything that you can do to to build championship DNA other than simply being a part of it. And the fact that every guy on their staff has it in some way or another pays huge dividends to all of those kids. I think you're probably right. We we're going to take a break real quick. We come back. We got. Um... Other things we want to talk about. Sure. Ohio State, Cincinnati. Upset. Um, upset. Browns. Not an upset. Browns, Tennessee. Uh, Indians. Do you want to talk Indians? Yeah. Are you frustrated? Sort of, but sort of. Let's not talk Indians today. Okay. Let's talk Indians next Saturday because we'll have a better understanding of where they're at. We'll talk a little bit. Uh, we'll do it. Uh, okay. Stay tuned. I'm sick of the NFL already. And I love the Browns, but I'm sick of the NFL. I'm disgusted with the NFL. It's double standards, and it's fake caring about what is right in character and all those things. It makes me sick. Josh Gordon is going to start for the New England Patriots. Yeah. How many times is he going to – are they going to let him keep doing it? Oh, I I don't know because I thought the last time was his last chance. I really did. And now this time they're saying it's his last chance. Yeah. But um, what bothers me is this about the NFL. Honestly, yeah, is that you've a guy in Antonio Brown? Oh, who's that acting, was my next one. Who's acting like you know a, a little kid who had his ball taken away from him you on think? the playground, and they're just gonna let him go. Gruden said, "Oh, he'll play Monday." Yeah, he's gonna start. He's gonna start you know, after he dog cussed the general manager. I mean, threw a ball into the fence. Basically threw a tantrum, said he was going to punch Mike Mayock. And to add to it all, like his whole stupid helmet thing. I mean, just everything about him. He has to always be in front of of a story. He can't ever just be somewhere and just exist. He always has to find a way to put himself at the top of the headline. Then the other thing that bothered me is yesterday... Everyone was so concerned about Antonio Brown that it goes unnoticed that Tyreek Hill signed a, a major deal yesterday. Yes. With the Chiefs. Yes. And obviously we know that Tyreek Hill does not have the cleanest of clean pass. Yes. So 
Yeah, the NFL and and we've had this discussion before, Joe. But the NFL, much like every other major sporting organization, and you know whatever you want to call it, they need to figure out what their core values are. Because if, if you want to, if you want to have a group of guys that are meant to inspire young kids coming up. What does it say when Antonio Brown can throw a hissy fit all week and then still play on Monday and, night? And not show up for most of camp. And here's the other part. Early in training camp, John Gruden ordered the release of a guy named Ronald Alley. Okay. Ronald Alley was a defensive tackle. He ordered him to be cut because he did not go to treatment for an injury. He wanted to emphasize that the Raiders players have to be 100% committed to every facet of the game. You know, I wonder how that would have changed if Ronald Ollie was a Pro Bowl wide receiver. Bingo. And if Ronald Ollie could make Derek Carr look better. Bingo. I wonder how all of that would change. Yep. Because you can't have the standard, too, that just because you have a good player that guy gets a free pass or two. And you notice that Mike Mayock was never in any of these announcements about, oh, the Oakland Raiders have reversed course. Mike Mayock has disappeared from the press conferences. It's all been John Gruden now talking about how, you know, I was a John Gruden fan. I hope Oakland gets their asses kicked this year i hope they get just destroyed i hope antonio brown just destroys the chemistry on this team and is like a cancer of that team and they get destroyed and i hope pittsburgh aside from the cleveland game i hope pittsburgh just absolutely plays out of their minds this year without him well and honestly looking at it with a guy like gruden a guy that so much, when the media talks to him, builds himself on like, you got to have good character, man. Yeah. You got to be a certain way. He's man. sold out. You got to be like this. You got to be like that. You can't. You can't play the two face here. Yeah, he I did. Mean, he is. I mean, you you've got to be who you are. You know, and the reason why he won a Super Bowl with the Buccaneers was because he got a group of guys together that were a cohesive unit. But they were also a cohesive unit because who was the coach that was before him? It was Tony Dungy. Thank you. Well, they were a cohesive unit because of that and and because they just had guys that wanted to be in that locker room together Yeah, and didn't care about me. I mean, the fact that they won a Super Bowl with Brad Johnson as their quarterback tells you just about everything you need to know. Obviously, they had a great defense. I mean, they really did, but still... The Raiders aren't going to be anything this year anyway. I hope not. And here's another one before we go. I know we got to go to break. Remember the NFL had a uh, had a visor rule? Yeah. That you could have a visor Yeah. as long as it was clear. Yeah. It couldn't be tinted. Ah. So, what should happened? They, I'm sure they vent this rule. So, what happened? They signed an agreement a marketing agreement, a sponsorship agreement with Oakley's football division. Immediately upon signing 
the sponsorship agreement with Oakley's football division, the exception to the rules limiting the use of tinted helmet shields was thrown out. (laughs) Imagine that. The rule for tinted helmet shields was reversed when suddenly they signed a lucrative deal with Oakley. Now they're polarized and tinted. That's and they probably have an O on them. I just want to say one last thing about the NFL. Yeah. Just that's bothering me to no end. And I know you have to get to a break here, but... Get it off your chest, John. It, no, seriously. No, speak it. Go. This has been bothering me. Go ahead. Players like Melvin Gordon yes. and Jack yes. Prescott and... Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott. Elliott, two years left in his contract. And all of these players holding out to get extra money. Yes. You are making, even if you don't get paid big time, you're still making like five mil to play a game that apparently you're supposed to love to play. And it shouldn't matter how much you get paid. It should just be because you play for the love of the game. Well, no, you need paid. Well, no, you do. But... I mean, your health, everything else, I don't mind them getting paid. But you know what? When you've got a two-year deal still left on the table, you don't hold out. But the point is is that I get it. Players want to get paid. They want to make the money that they're supposed to make in their mind. But when you still have money that is coming your way thank you, and you still have a deal that you are under contract, don't hold out to hurt the rest of the franchise and the rest of the team simply because you didn't ink your six-year, $90 million deal. Oh, and by the way, the fans who pay good money yes. to go see yes. you play and and money out of their pocket that many of them don't have as much as no. you. And they're paying for you to be there. The sponsors are paying to see you. They're, everybody is paying to see you, and they know that. And so they hold it over everybody's head. But it's the same thing with owners who say, I want a new stadium, come up with the tax money to pay for it. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. But I love the Browns. (laughs) (laughs) I will simply say this. Professional sports, with the amount of money and the way that contracts and things are working, are becoming a farce. And so are major college sports because they're in the same... Because it starts there. All of these problems start there with the transfer portals and all of the crap that you can do whatever you want to. How many guys are transferring now? Everybody. (sighs) I'm I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore, but I'll be watching college football today and the Browns tomorrow. Stay tuned. (laughs) Hour number two of the week that was. You know, this I can't wait. To talk to this gentleman, I, I uh, the way socialism is thrown around these days—it's a buzzword. All the candidates—they'll talk about it. You hear all kinds of people talking about it. The the uh, the youth in this country, in surveys, overwhelmingly say, "Yeah, we want we want socialism." Do we really know what socialism is? And I could never—I just keep saying this, and I couldn't explain it. But I read a book recently called Socialism Sucks, 
Two economists drink their way through the an unfree world. And this book takes the subject of socialism and makes it simple. It does it in a lighthearted way. And the two authors of this book, uh, Dr. Robert Lawson and um, oh, Dr. Benjamin Powell, who are very well-respected economists in the world. They... Uh, you know, they're part of organizations. They know people all over the world who, who are economists. They wrote this book, and we're very fortunate right now to have with us uh, Dr. Robert Lawson. He was born in Cincinnati as a lifelong fan of the Cincinnati sports teams. He takes a shot at the Browns fans at the very, at very early in this book. He earned his Ph.D. at Florida State. Uh, he became involved in a project analyzing quantitative data that would finally settle the question of what is better, socialist or a free economy. Uh, And and we are grateful uh, to you, Dr. Lawson, that you were able to be here. May I call you Bob, please? That's great, Joe. Yeah, good to be here. Thank you for being on. Um, I I like this book. Well, I actually love this book for for three reasons, and then there's more. But you didn't write a book based on theory. You didn't write a book, uh, uh, an academic book, from afar. You actually traveled to every country you wrote about to see firsthand what it was about. I thought that was incredible. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Ben and I are pretty accomplished academics. I think we have like 200 articles and books between us. And, you know, let's be honest, Joe, no one reads that stuff except other economists. And uh, we thought, you know, we should uh, we should write a book that regular people want to read. And if you're going to write a book regular people want to read, you're going to have to write a book that's interesting and fun. And so we read, you know, Anthony Bourdain and P.J. Work and people like that. And, and uh, we said, you know, let's write a book in that style. But let's try to have it with the substance of, like, Milton Friedman. We're going to have real economics in it, but we're going to have fun while we do it. Talk about our day travels, our drinking on the streets in these various countries. Yeah. I thought it was great. And and you also took uh, a very complex topic, socialism versus capitalism. I mean, how do you argue? You know, you could write 700-page academic books on this and articles on this, but you took it and you made it very simple for an English major like myself to understand and for anybody to understand. Yeah, that was the hardest part, really. It was trying to get the economics right in a very short and pithy and understandable way. We have actually written 700-page books on this stuff, so no doubt, no one reads that. <laughs> so, uh, so we, you know, we were really, we really spent a lot of time. How do we boil this down? How do we talk about these hard theoretical ideas like the not what we economists call knowledge problem, incentive problems, and all this stuff? How do we talk about that in one paragraph or two paragraphs so a regular Joe can understand it? That was a really, that was the hardest part of the book. It was easy to talk about drinking in Cuba. Uh, it was <laughs> It's hard to actually write the the economics in a, in a way that you know that was also that was correct. We wanted to make it right, but you even, understandable. You wove them all together though to, to create a narrative that the drinking part even explained like how many beers are in Venezuela. Well, they don't even have beer because they don't bring in any hops anymore. Cuba only has two beers. Uh, North Korea, you don't know because you couldn't get into North Korea, but probably doesn't have any beer because they don't have any lights at night or anything. So you get into the whole thing. It's also pretty raw and light, lighthearted, and you even state in the book 
that the language and the drinking stories, if they cause you a problem, just go read one of your other 700-page books that are that are strictly academic. Um, so there's kind of a, almost a warning, but it's really kind of it, – it, it just makes it very, very fun and very lighthearted to read. Well, we decided we were going to do this. It was going to be Ben and Bob's show as we are. And, you know, Ben and Bob are basically beer-drinking, sports-watching guys, uh, you know, so you're going to get the – the, in the book, you're going to get pretty much the same version of, of, of us in the book as you get would get in real life. We didn't I, want to, you know, lie or put a varnish on on what we do when we travel. We that, travel, we go out, and we drink, we talk to people, we, you know, it I makes even hit it great. Club. It makes it great. I, I, uh, do me a favor. Let Let's start out. Explain Explain briefly what your economic freedom index is and does, because this is kind of crucial to the whole book. Yeah, sure. So I, my day job as a professor is I work on something called the Economic Freedom of the World Index, and we rate countries on how economically free or how, if you want to use the word, how capitalist they are. And so right now Hong Kong is the freest economy, and Venezuela is the least free. We don't rate North Korea and Cuba, so Venezuela is last. Uh, and it's basically a numerical score, uh, and it really helps guide, uh, for us, it helps guide the discussion about what's really socialist. I mean, so one example is Sweden, which a lot of, Democratic politicians, a lot of young people point to as socialists, isn't really socialist. In fact, it scores in the top fifth of the Economic Freedom Index. Uh, if you go to Sweden, you see you see private property. You don't see central planners you know, making production decisions for the entire Swedish economy. It's a it's a market economy more or less like ours. Now their taxes are higher, and there are some differences, but but uh, you know, so the index was really a guidepost that we used to decide whether a country was really socialist. Uh, countries like, uh, well, Cuba's so bad and North Korea's so bad, they're not even rated. But, you know, countries like Venezuela, dead last. Um, and other countries like Georgia, the country of Georgia, which used to be part of the Soviet Union, is now in the top part of the Economic Freedom Index. And they've gone from so hard Soviet socialism to to basically free market capitalism in about, you know, 15 or 20 years. It's really been a miracle there. Yeah, and, and that, that's interesting. So in, in a nutshell... And you tell me if I'm wrong, but your overall theme seems to be that we in America really have no clue of what socialism is. That many of the countries we consider socialist, like Sweden, and even China, yeah. are not. So which countries in the world do you and Dr. Powell actually consider pure socialist countries and why? Well, the good news is that number's gone down a lot. I mean, at this point in time, I think we, we would we definitely would have Cuba and North Korea, and I think Venezuela passes the test. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, Cambodia or something is still, but they've liberalized a lot, too. You know, the uh, China's chapter in the book is called Fake Socialism. Yes. You go to China, I mean, again, they've given up central flame. They gave it up 20 years ago. Uh, right now, you go there, all you see is signs for the Gap and Gucci and, you know, all the international brands. Uh, it's as free market as you get here, in, you know, in the, uh, the U.S. Um, uh, it's now still still a totalitarian police state on the political side, but that's that's a separate conversation. Uh, so, really, only about three, maybe four countries left that are that are actually uh, socialist, not, in not only in name but all, but also in practice. And that's good news. I mean, it used to be, you know, several dozen countries like that. Yeah, and 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 because of that, their economies have started growing. You used hotels. In this book, in your book, as a as a vivid example of government control, 
To quote your book, in a capitalist economy, entrepreneurs create businesses to make profits, which they earn by pleasing their customers. But in a socialist system, a bureaucrat decides which businesses can open, where they can operate, and what they can sell. And he really doesn't care what the customer thinks. Adopting socialist system is like turning your whole economy into a giant department of motor vehicles. That is a perfect quote. And explain that in how, especially in Cuba, how the hotels demonstrated that. Yeah, so in Cuba, you have uh, sort of a parallel system going on. It is it is 95% socialist, but they've allowed in a tiny bit of capitalism in their hotel and restaurant markets. And and there are so there are side-by-side state-run, state-owned restaurants and, and hotels, and then right next door there'll be a state-run or a privately-run restaurant and a privately-run sort of Airbnb operation, people letting out rooms in their homes or their flats. And the contrast could not be more more stark. I mean, you go to the we went to this hotel Caribe in, in Havana in central Havana. It was not in the tourist area. It was a regular hotel. I mean, there was the, the glass had a stain on it. They left the soap from the previous guest. There were I mean, they're mold all over the the shower stall. We didn't have water at least. The other hotel, we government hotel, didn't even have water. Um, and then you go to the private like Airbnb. These are run by private people who are letting out an extra room in their home, or maybe they 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 have two places, so they're letting out one extra place. And, I mean, you go in there, there's a little coffee maker, there's an air conditioning actually work. <laughs> um, you know, the refrigerator came stocked with some basic food items for you, you know, butter and, and things, just like an Airbnb would. And and, and they're basically the same price, but, boy, the, the, the quality of the, of the privately run uh, places to stay, they're called Casas Particulares, are, was just like night and day compared to the government-run joints. It's not surprising. It's basically the same problem we have here when you go to DMV versus, say, when you go to McDonald's. Yeah, they just don't. It it doesn't matter to them. You're going to come back there and 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 frequent their place regardless of whether they treat you good or not. Yeah, because I mean, it's all over the world telling people to stay in these places too. You know, I, you know, if you if you read about the hotels and and the restaurants, we're like, go to the private ones. I mean, it's, it's really uh, so be, these people. Their reputations are enhanced, just like here in America. Your reputation as a business person is enhanced if you do a good job. Yeah. Bob, we have to take a, a short break. I want to continue with you. This book is fascinating, and this is we're speaking with Dr. Robert Lawson, a co-author uh, of this book called Socialism Sucks, Two Economists Drink Their Way Through an Unfree World. You've got to read this book to completely understand the difference between socialism and capitalism. It is pretty amazing. And we're going to continue with Dr. Robert Lawson right after this. We are continuing with Dr. Robert Lawson. Uh, he is the author of a great book called Socialism Sucks. Two economists drink their way through an unfree world. My producer during the break, Bob, said, uh, you know, if, if this was a socialist country, you wouldn't have all these commercials. You'd have more time to speak. The, the, bad, the other side of the coin is I'd probably be in prison right now for the things I say on this show. So I don't know. Bob, are you there? I am. I could have done without that Browns commercial, though. I got to be honest. I know. I thought about that. It's almost like we planned it. We planned it. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I in the time we have left, and I could talk to you for hours about this. And I, I would just tell people, you got to get this book if you want to know anything. If you want to truly know what socialism is all about, 
and which countries are really socialistic. And, and when we throw out this term in our country, socialism, how wrong we are. And, and this book explains it in a very simple, um, understandable way for those of us who aren't economic majors. Now, I have to ask you this one question. Do those in our country clamoring for socialism, do you think they really want socialism or do they just want social justice, some form of it? Yeah, that's the good news. Uh, so for the book, we went to the, the last chapter of the book, we went to the Socialism Conference in Chicago. We came back to the USSA, as we called it. And uh, it builds itself as the largest gathering of American socialists, something like 2,000, mostly young people. There were some old hippies, but uh, mostly it was young millennial types. And we, we were hang out, and we went to sessions. We talked to these kids and said, hey, well, you know, do you think the government should take over the means of production and abolish private property? And here's the good news. Most of them said no. <laughs> Most of them weren't socialists in the proper sense of that word. They were mostly just kids who had some, who saw some injustice in the world. Uh, they, they maybe thought uh, reproductive rights, or maybe they were against racist cops, or some left-wing sort of social justice issue. And I got to be honest, I have some sympathies for their causes here and there, anyway. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, and I don't, and I don't understand, they've latched on to socialism as as if socialism, which is turning over the complete power over the economy to the government, as if that is going to solve the problem of racist cops. <laughs> you know, I don't understand the, 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 the logic there. I don't know how we're going to get, uh, you know, uh, more social justice with a completely government-dominated economy. If you look at the history of socialist countries, and that's what we do in the book, is it's actually less social justice. The environments were disasters. Women got treated like crap. I mean, it was over and over and over, whatever your, your, your social justice cause is. What we need is more voluntary, more private solutions uh, civil society. We need to talk out our problems to deal with these these sometimes very real issues. But socialism is not the answer. It's been a disaster. It's been death wherever it's been tried. And it is it is shocking to us though that that somehow or another this idea of socialism has come back so strongly uh, when the history of it is is so so horrific. Yeah, and 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 really the only reason it's come back, like you said, is because people are misinterpreting what socialism actually is. That's exactly right. I mean, so again, they, people point to Sweden and Denmark. When you get private property and, uh, you know, entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, it, it, there are no state-run bureaucrats. And, you know, in fact, according to the Economic Freedom Index that I work on, you know, except for taxes, most of these other countries have less regulations, and less environmental regulations, fewer safety regulations, um, you know, so... So, you know, the idea that uh, we should become Sweden, I partly agree, we should become Sweden, we should have the regulations that Sweden has. I don't want their taxes, but, um, you know, uh, so, yeah, they're pointing to these places that are really capitalist countries, and they're calling them socialists. And uh, I, I worry that in some cases just, it's just naivete, they don't really understand, but in other cases I think it's a bait and switch. I think Bernie Sanders, to point to one person, he knows what the Soviet Union was. He went there, he visited it, he liked it. Uh, for him today to point to places like Denmark and call that socialism, I think it's disingenuous. Uh, I think he knows what socialism is. When he says socialism, he knows what it means, and that's the kind of socialism he he liked and he wants to bring here. Um, I think he's actually kind of lying to people when he says what I mean is Sweden. What he actually means 
I think, is, is the Soviet Union and that type of experience. The old Soviet Union, because Russia yeah. probably has a pretty pretty high uh, freedom index, no? No, not really. They're still struggling. The chapter there is called Hungover Socials, and they're really still struggling from the after effects of uh, the Soviet experience. I mean, you concentrated so much power in the hand of those Moscow bureaucrats in Soviet times. And, they, I mean, sure, they, they got rid of the Soviet part but the, the, and became Russia, but uh, that mentality of the government being in charge of things is still there. Now, they have gotten, you know, private property, and they've got the sort of structure of capitalism. But uh, the government is still pretty much got its hands in everything in Russia. So their, their rating is like, you know, just below the halfway mark. Okay. It's not good. Um, but it's better than it was in the Soviet times. That's, I mean, you know, for sure. This is a fascinating book, Bob, and, and Dr. Robert Lawson, and he's co-author uh, of this book uh, with Dr. Powell, and, and it is a great book. It was a needed book. It's an important book, and I know it's lighthearted and everything else, but it is a very important book for people to read, and I would recommend it. You could go on. You could get it at Amazon. Um, you could get it probably at any bookstore, correct? Yeah, I think Barnes & Noble's got it in uh, in. Stock, uh, most places, and Amazon's always easy, sure. Yeah, Amazon was good for me, and I it just, obviously, the Kindle reader and the whole thing like that. And it's a great book, and I thank you for writing it, and thank you for taking time in your Saturday morning to be with me. I wish you the best. I don't wish the Bengals the best, but I, I wish you the best. I'm going for the first round draft pick next year, this year. Are you? <laughs> you got a tank. Yeah. i <laughs> good. Dr. Lawson, thank you so much for being with us. You have a great day. Thanks, Joe. Take care. Oh, my gosh. We needed to find out more scores. I was trying to give them everything they need. The people. The, the people, people. The people are clamoring for it. Yes, and, and we're a capitalistic society, so we're giving everything the people need. I agree with that. I was wrong. Thank you. I apologize. Thank you. Maya Copa. Opposed to Reaganomics, that was my sportsonomics. Reaganomics? How does that compare? Trickle-down sports. Oh. Everybody gets there first. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just uh, sounded right. I got to get into this. Um, obviously, well, I wasn't here last week, and I don't know if you guys talked about this. This happened when? Last when did the shooting happen in, in Odessa? Was that last Saturday? I think that was, wasn't that this past week? Um, I think it was over the week. I feel that. horrible for not I, I mean, I, I do too, John. I Honest to goodness, I do too. I'm, th- I'm thinking the same thing. But anyway, you had uh, another shooting, um, mass shooting. Uh, obviously, this guy was crazy, escaping from police. Uh, started just routine traffic stop, shot at the police, started driving all over, uh, ended up killing seven people, injuring another 22 people. It ended with officers gunning him down. You've got this whole thing. There was a 17-year-old girl who sustained injuries, but she's okay. She's going to come through. I don't know if she's okay, but she's going to live. It was, um, it was September 4th, by the way, so this past week. Yeah, okay. And it was just a, a, a horrible episode, and, and again, it goes on. But I, but I have to bring this up. You know, the media, and we all just get 
crushed with this. You know, there's live stuff, Fox News, everybody goes on 24-hour coverage of everything that's going on. But did you know, John Bazika, did you know that last weekend alone in Chicago, seven people were killed. Fifty-two were wounded from gunfire. Did you know that? No. And the reason you didn't know that was why? It's not publicized. Yes. No one talks about it. There were 32 separate shooting incidents throughout the weekend in Chicago. More people were wounded than in Texas. The same amount were killed, including a five-year-old boy who was just sitting on a car and got shot. Trying to say this in the most careful way possible, because in big cities, shootings happen fairly regularly, I would say. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing. I'm not, I don't have a proven statistic to that. I don't have a number to that. But I'm guessing that because there is some sort of regularity to it, that it's not going to be publicized as much as like some guy going on a rampage in Odessa where the chances of that happening are, you know, over the course of time, fairly minuscule. People, yeah. No, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that's, I, I think that weighs heavily into it. I mean, if you go to any big city, I'm sure you could go to parts of New York and find that, you know, three people were shot yesterday. I mean, I'm sure you could. So this happens every weekend. And, and Illinois, and we've talked about this before in the show, Illinois has the strictest gun laws in the country. People who want to buy a gun in in Illinois, they have to acquire a license or a firearm owner's identification card before legally owning a firearm. They also passed last year a measure requiring a 72-hour waiting period for gun purchases. And yet, every single weekend, this goes on. Now, I have to ask this question, and this this is... Kind of raw, but we always talk about black lives matter. Do black lives only matter when they're shot by a white police officer, or do they matter to the media when it happens on a weekly basis inside a city? Is there is there part of this, and you brought it up, is there part of this that happens so often that it doesn't matter. What about these 52 people who were wounded in Chicago? What about the seven people who were killed? We know everything about the seven people who were killed in Odessa. We don't know anything about the seven people that were killed in Chicago, and they're human beings too. I think it's the regularity, and I hate to say that. I hate to sound that way, but I think it's the regularity because it's looked at as just being another night on the news of reporting about domestic violence cases. I'm, they I don't know, even cover it, John. No, I'm saying locally, though. 
probably. They, I don't even think they cover it in I'm sure Chicago. they do. I'm sure they do. I'm sure it's a blurb, though, because think about it. How many times, I want you to go home one night and watch, I don't care which one of the news stations in Cleveland, and and you will, without a doubt, have at least three stories about someone getting shot on a nightly basis. And it's not covered at the national level. And I think it's because of the regularity of which it happens in the cities. Cities have shootings. It's part of the, it's, I hate to say it, it's becoming part of the fabric of like the culture of the city. Is it guns or is it a complete lack of, of empathy, sympathy, brotherhood, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it, a complete lack of any kind of physical or emotional attachment? Or is it guns? I, I, in the cases of this, I don't believe it's as much guns as is in other cases. I really, I really do believe that. And here, here's because I think a lot of it is. I think a lot of it is when it happens in a city like that. I think a lot of it is more. Should I say this? Not premeditated, but there is a normal purpose as to why it happened. Meaning, like it's a lot of it's gangs. Yeah, it's it's related to something. Like you don't, you know, the chances of you or I, you know, knock on wood, getting shot are low in a city because... I don't in, know anymore. Well, but unless we go looking for it... Or, or try we go to a mall or try to and get somebody in, walks in crazy. Sure, sure. But unless we go looking for it in, like, a, a bad part of a town or, like, in a... Do you, yeah. do you think the people in Odessa, it's becoming... I mean, the lady who was stopped at a red light and the guy pulled up and shot her. But I'm saying, like, something like that isn't a premeditated thing. Right. Like, he just... He went, he went off. He just had a moment. He had a gun. He just shot people, you know. In 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 like you know urban cities, most of it is is gang related. Most of it is related in terms to there's a disagreement between people in so that what part we're of the saying, neighborhood. What we're saying and what the media is saying, they're putting category, categories on mass killings and saying the same or greater mass killing than Texas. Happened happens every weekend in Chicago, but it's okay because we know it's going to happen, and it's not it's not that big big of a deal. But isn't isn't another big issue to all of this <laughs> the fact that you brought up the Odessa thing and you said when did that happen? And I didn't know right off the top of the bat. Did Stephen? Did you know right off the top of the bat? Could you have told us the date of what it happened? No, you didn't know the date of what it happened. No. I didn't know the date. I'm, I don't. I'm guessing Jay David didn't know the date. Oh, I Jay think, David probably did. Well, maybe, but I mean, only if he probably looks back through his news notes. Yeah. Like I guess the point is, is that like if you look at it, because there are so many mass shootings on a regular basis, whether it be premeditated or not premeditated, you know, we've become immune to it because. There's a mass shooting that happens in Dayton a month ago. And when was the last time you heard about it on the news? You don't. You heard about it about a week ago? But because, it's happening every weekend but in you Chicago. Heard, but you heard about it about a week ago because Dave Chappelle did the thing in Dayton. Now, I have to bring up one thing before we take a break. I'm just saying that we, we, we something happens 
and the the next night we gloss over it already. I agree. I agree. We want to know how the Indians did. This is another thing that this is another thing that's going on. Um, you talk about guns over the over this past week. One dead, at least nine wounded in France after suspected knife attack. A a suspect carrying a knife was arrested after assaulting residents at a bus stop. Now, knife crime, here's another headline. Knife crime hits all-time high after more than 43,000 offenses across England and Wales just this year. 43,000 knife attacks in England and Wales alone. And somebody says, children are not born with knives in their hands. Knife crime is a symptom of a much bigger problem. Why don't they say that about guns? If you don't have guns, they use knives. If you don't have knives, you'll use rocks. You know, you... Five years into the knife crime, this another. These are articles. Five years into knife crime crisis, Britain is still scrambling for solutions. Few weekends pass without reports of violence in the country, while flowers laid on London street corners serve as a near daily reminder of its results. The latest outbreak saw two teenagers die moments apart from each other on a bloody Friday night in the capital. And then another headline, Britain's pervasive horror of knife crime reaches record for number of stabbing. They're having the same problems we are, except with knives. It's it's not the weapon. The question the question I have though <clears throat> is that there may be as many crimes but how many deaths? Well, we, we haven't had 43,000 gun, mass but, gun shootings. But are the same amount of people dying from the fact that people are stabbing people? I don't know. Because I think you can take an assault rifle and kill a large quantity of people a lot quicker than you could with a knife. I would agree. There may be... An instance where you have nine people that are killed, like this story, but I'm guessing that's few and far between compared to somebody walks in with an assault, uh, an assault rifle and kills 13 people. I don't know. I, I think I that's, agree with that. I, I just, agree with that. And and I'm and I've said this on the show. I'm in favor of doing something to ban assault rifles, any kind of assault rifles. I don't think they're needed. No. You don't hunt with them. You know, I know I know you disagree with me on this, but and a lot of people do. And I've had discussions with people who disagree with me. But I don't get why someone needs an assault rifle. But you know what? They're going to get him. These people that are shooting killing people in Chicago, they've got the toughest gun laws in the country. And you got every week there's mass shootings. So where are they getting their guns? And the law-abiding people are at the mercy of these people who aren't getting guns legally. So if you ban them, somebody's going to figure out a way to get them. 
knives, rocks, pipes, whatever it takes to kill somebody. And it's and we need to start looking at the root cause of this versus the weapons. Quit banning the weapons. Just like this person says, a child isn't born with a knife in their hand. A child isn't born with a gun in their hand. It's the weapon. And we got to... As, as I was saying, though, I, it's a lot harder, though, to kill mass quantities of people with a pipe or a rock or a knife. And I think that's where the base of that discussion with guns has to start. It depends how crowded the place is. I mean, sure, but I, I don't think you can, you know, eventually if you have a knife and you're running through a crowd of people, like, you might kill two or three, but I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't think it's going to be the same as if you have a... You put a guy with a knife on a subway, he'll do some serious damage. I mean, but eventually somebody's going to take the guy out. Well, like, they will with a gun, too, but he's going to wipe out more. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, I, I mean, agree. Your chances, if you have a guy with a gun on a subway... It's all relative, though, John. A life is a life. It is, but there's... <laughs> you know, I, I, all I, I'm I, saying I, is... I guess I'm saying I hate that the discussion is that I'm saying to you that it's like you can kill less people with a knife than you can with a gun. Yeah. Like, the discussion doesn't make it right. It's just... I'm guessing factually it's true. And the news and the media talks about which ones are important to them. Which ones fit the 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 people dying in Chicago aren't as important to the media as the people dying in Odessa, Texas. It's that that's a fact. That's a fact. It's the regularity with which it happens. <laughs> Still a human doesn't life. make it right, you know. All right, we got to go. We got to get on. Steven's already been giving me the evil eye for about five minutes here. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The week that was will continue right after this. Oh, we have some breaking news. We only go till 1030 today, so I got to fit in everything. But we have some breaking news in the continuing daytime drama. (laughs) Antonio Brown. As Antonio Brown turns general antonio brown the young and the restless oh all the daytime dramas of antonio brown what's the latest yeah so um this according to nfl.com uh and also by help of his instagram page so uh obviously we know the saga with him and mike mayock where he called him a certain word and uh, they got into, threatened to punch him. Yeah, they got into uh, quite a little tussle of sorts there. So roughly um, twelve hours removed from that conversation, uh, and a number of different things and stuff with him and John Gruden. Brown posted a message on Instagram that most notably included the line "Release me at Raiders." Maybe he was just. Please release me. Let me go. It's nice singing. Listen Thank to you. The, the Joe Palmer song. I don't love you anymore. That could be his theme song. Go he ahead. He said you're going to. Um, can we say like P.I.S.S. on air? I don't think you can. Can you? No. No, I don't think so. I, I thought you could. It's going to iss me off a lot. Um, so what happened? Tell me what precipitated this latest outbreak. From what I'm gathering is uh, 
Mike Mayock. So they're fining him over two hundred thousand dollars, and they're voiding his signing bonus, so which now is he's... fourteen million dollar guarantee. They're they're voiding his guarantee. So now, because of that, because of all that money that's going to be lost, so you know, I'm going to tell you this, John. Release. This sounds stinky because one thing is going on. I think John Gruden controlled the narrative. I remember I told you Mike Mayock was nowhere to be found in in John Gruden saying that he's going to play Monday and everything's mm-hmm. okay. I think John Gruden, I think there's a power struggle going on. I think John Gruden wants Antonio Brown, no matter what, to play. And I think Mike Mayock then came back with probably the owners with Davis's blessing to say, okay, John, he can play on Monday, but we're voiding all of his guarantees and his signing bonus, and we're fining him $200,000. So now he can play Monday if he wants, but this is going on. There's a power struggle going on. Okay, so his comments on his Instagram posts go on to say this, because he obviously has this post here where it says you're going to iss off or iss a lot of people off when you start doing what's best for you. That's what he says. That's his picture on his Instagram, which whatever that's supposed to mean. Who cares? So his comment says, and that's fine. I've worked my whole life to prove that system is blind to see talent like mine. Now that everyone sees it, they want to conform to that same system that has failed me all those years. So basically, he said, I'm not mad at anyone. I'm asking for freedom to prove them wrong. Release me at Raiders. Hashtag no more. Hashtag they put blinders on a horse for a reason. Hashtag no more fake. So basically, he wants an organization that's going to allow him to do whatever he wants to do. Yes. Show up when he wants to show up and do what he wants to do regardless of the team. And he thinks he's that good to be able to do that. No, this is addition by subtraction for the Raiders. I'm telling you, had they not done this, the Raiders organization would be in the tank. And they are doing what's best for the organization and the team. The team will be better for it in the long run. Uh, well, and, and the Raiders believe they can already release him because they have license to void the $30 million in guaranteed money from his failure to practice yes. and other infractions. So they feel that from a financial standpoint, it makes sense for them. They're not really going to – it's a it's a win-win for them. This guy's giving up – this is like – By the way, you asked – $100 million if, he was going to get paid. $100 million. He's just not a smart person, I guess. <laughs> By the way, you said that he should go to a franchise where he could, you know... Do what he wants? Yeah, do what he wants to. And, and I was going to say, there, there's a handful of teams that allow you to do that. No. You want me to tell you who they are? Who? Um, the Dallas Renegades, the Houston Roughnecks, uh, the Los Angeles Wildcats, 
the Seattle Dragons. These are arena teams? The D.C. Defenders, the New York Guardians, the St. Louis Battlehawks, and the Tampa Bay Vipers. Oh, this is the XFL. Of the XFL. If he wants to go somewhere oh, yeah. where they'll let him do whatever the hell he yeah. wants, yeah. hey. Vince McMahon would here's welcome Here's Vince McMahon's him. phone number. And he could also wrestle. He could. Well, and not only that, could you imagine that, by the way? Antonio Brown in the XFL, because as far as I'm concerned, the XFL is going to be around for one season, and then and it's going to fail again. Like, it's inevitable. It's not good football. The players aren't that great. It doesn't matter if you get, you know, unless you go out and you get top-notch talent, it's still second-grade football, and people are not going to watch that. Now, if you go out and you get an Antonio Brown on a roster – and all of a sudden, Antonio Brown is being paraded around to eight different cities every single year. Well, then you have some people that want to be in those seats. Well, then you'll get Josh Gordon in the middle, middle of the year. Um, you know, you'll get Johnny Manziel. Could would be perfect. Could Antonio Brown be the domino that falls that makes the F, the XFL relevant? No, no, no. You still think it fails? Uh, I don't know if it fails. But I'm saying, does he... Does he? But he won't make a difference. I think he's becoming irrelevant. I think he's actually making himself irrelevant. Well, I he, honestly believe that. Well, he's trying very hard to, but the only reason why I'll say that he's not irrelevant is because if he did get on a team that was willing to put up with his crap and he was able to play, he'd still be amongst the best receivers in the league. If the quarterback was able to get him the ball. True. But I'm saying if he finds that team that's willing to go through all of that, he's still a weapon. I mean, so he's still very much Doesn't so. Doesn't the XFL has, have a salary cap? I don't know. I don't think they could pay him $100 million. I Apparently, <laughs> it's not about the money at this point. Unless he wrestled, too. I don't know what it... I, I just... I don't understand from the get-go why he had a problem being in Pittsburgh. I mean, simply because he wasn't the center of attention? Yes. But exactly. He was, he was, but he was on, if this is a guy that wants to win, because I feel like he talks all the time about like He doesn't wanting, want to win. He wants to win. He wants to be the man. He wants to be the center Okay, of well, it. he needs to realize, though, that receivers, nine times out of ten, on most teams, aren't the man. Well, they will be the man if he does. He was the man when he just did what he was supposed to do. I got to take a break. When we come back... Um, we, I, I'm done with Antonio Brown. <laughs> if you want to talk about Odell Beckham Jr. and his comparison of his leg to a car, we can talk about that. No, I don't want to talk about that. We have to talk about, we do have to mention Dorian. Yeah. And and I, I do want to talk about that briefly. But then we have to do our contest because we're out of here at 1030. We got to get all this done. Let's do the contest first so we know we have time. And then we'll go from there. How's that? We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Oh, my God. That was rude, but funny. All right. It's contest time. I gave you the answers earlier. Now I'm going to give you the questions. You get a $25 gift card for Anytime Fitness. You can use it for the membership, tanning, personal training, and more. Let's go to caller number one. What's your name, please? Hello? Hello? Oh. Am I allowed to say poop? Anyway, that was one caller. I don't know if it's not a, uh, I don't know. 
you know what, Stephen, I'm giving it to you. You got it. $25 gift card to Anytime Fitness. You could use it anytime you want, Stephen. Deal? All right, I do have to get into, oh, wait a minute, we have a call. What's your name, please? Virginia. Virginia. Yes. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? Good. Virginia, did you get the answers? I think so, but I don't know if I'm going to get them right. Oh, I I bet you will. Okay, let's see. All right. When scientists first saw specimens of an Australian mammal, they thought it was a hoax. What was that mammal? Platypus. See? You're smarter than me. (laughs) Okay. Who was the first president to be inaugurated in Washington, D.C.? Thomas Jefferson. You underestimated yourself. (laughs) After the Mona Lisa was stolen from the Louvre, the Louvre, in 1911, which famous artist was considered a suspect? Picasso. You are so... You're brilliant. And you totally underestimated yourself, Virginia. You did it in order this week. Well, but but I think you would have gotten them anyway. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Virginia, I'm going to put you on hold. And Stephen is going to get all your information. You could come in this week and pick up your Okay, gift thank, card. You. thank you. Thank you. You have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank goodness for Virginia. I, um, you know, I was listening to that commercial about eating healthy. My personal trainer this week came to me and said uh, that I should burn some fat. And so today I'm grilling ribs. I, I, isn't that what he meant? I don't know. You know, here's another thing. People are, are, need to mind their own business. I learned that from, from, I was walking this week, Stephen, past a mental health hospital. And I heard all these people shouting 13, 13, 13 over and over. And I, the fence was there, and I couldn't see over it. So I found a little crack in where the fence was, and I looked and started looking inside to see what was going on, and some guy poked me in the eye with a stick. And then they all started yelling, 14, 14, 14. <laughs> ah, by the way, I do want to tell you that uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes uh, will host Luke Fickle and the Cincinnati Bearcats. This is going to be a really good football game. Pre-game starts at 10.30 when we sign off here. Kickoff is at noon. You can hear all the coverage here. Plus, the Browns, it finally counts. We're going to see. The Cleveland Browns open the new season Sunday at home against the Tennessee Titans. Our pregame on WHBC starts at 11 a.m. tomorrow. Kickoff is at 1. Jim Donovan has a call, and we all know how excited He's going to be. Now, Doug Deacon is another story. Does he ever get excited? This is your home for Cleveland Browns football. We're going to hear that on WHBC. All the great things going on uh, here at WHBC. Cincinnati, the Indians are on tonight at 635. Tennessee and the Browns tomorrow. Um, I want to thank... Stephen Potter, uh, obviously 
J. David Russ with the news. John Bazika for everything he does here in the sports. I want to thank Dr. Robert Lawson for coming on. His book is outstanding. Socialism sucks. You got to read that book, folks. It'll give you an absolute idea of what socialism truly is. You have a great week, everybody. Make something good. Make something great happen. I will talk to you next Saturday.